Heaven spoke out on the night on that hillside as the shepherds sat just like a normal evening, a normal night shift, and heard the most marvelous announcement. Good news for all the people because the Savior has been born for you. I want to welcome you to the Gospel of Luke, a gospel for all people. We're going to take a deep dive into this amazing account written by a man named Luke. And here's how Luke starts his message of good news, what we call today the gospel, in Luke 1, starting in verse 1. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. We're going to unpack those four verses next week, and we'll find out about Luke, we'll find out about this person named Theophilus, who... who who was that, or who do we think that was, and many, many, many more things, but that's next week. So I'm probably way more excited to get started in this series than you might be, although some of you have written me and said, can't wait for the Luke series. I've been working on this for months, and I know where I'm going, and that's why I'm excited, but only in part do I know where I'm going, because eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has the minds of humanity come to imagine the marvelous things that God has prepared for us. Yet the Holy Spirit, who wrote through Luke, the Holy Spirit, who is our friend, who is our helper, and who is our teacher, He knows where He wants to go with this. And He's going to take us by the hand and navigate for us as we enter the vast ocean of treasure that we'll come upon as He amazes us with Luke's account. Of all the Gospels, Luke stands out as the Gospel for all people. It's good news about Jesus, right? From His birth through childhood to His preteen years, not mentioned anywhere else, to the beginning of ministry in the small villages in the north where he was born, where he was originally from, around the Galilee, to Jerusalem, in the temple, on the water, into trouble, to the cross, to the Emmaus Road, to the Mount of Olives, to the right hand of God. So I've titled this first message in our series, Why Luke? Let me tell you why I chose to do an exposition on the Gospel of Luke. Four reasons. Number one, I have a personal conviction. I was with my old roomie, Clay Maness, from Southeastern University. That's where we went to school. And I was with him at a conference hosted by Dr. Jack Hayford called the Spirit-Formed Church, and it was 9-11-01. Yep. It was that day. But before we had to cancel 
because of what we didn't know was coming in the world that day, Pastor Jack challenged us as pastors to be spirit-led as we pastor our churches in the Word of God. And he said something that got deep in my soul that day, and it was this, something like this. These aren't his exact words, but this is what he meant. If the Holy Spirit is leading you as a pastor, you will cover many themes in the Bible. You'll cover many letters. You'll cover many passages. So those of you who are passionate about being led by the Spirit in the Word, take an inventory of your last few years of preaching. Look for too much emphasis on one thing or a few things. For instance, giving or prophecy or helpful tips about stuff. He said, the Holy Spirit, if leading you, might spontaneously change your message that you've prepared in a moment. I always think it's funny. I I used to pray with the worship team way back in the day in the mid-2000s, and uh, I would be prepared, ready to go, fired up, ready ready to go. And uh, there was uh, somebody that would always pray, and they prayed all the time. And and so so many times I quit going to the prayer circle because the prayer was, now, Lord, we want you to bless Pastor Tim, use him, but God, if you want to change him, change his message. And it went on and on, and I started to think, I'm not sure if this guy thinks I'm led by the Holy Spirit or not. Anyway, do you know the Holy Spirit can tell you what to preach on three months before just as easily as three minutes before? I'll just said that. And Jack Hayford said, the Holy Spirit, if leading you, if leading you, will lead you to preach the whole counsel of God eventually. Now, a year ago, I began to even get more convicted of that, and I made a prayer to God. I made a commitment to God. I made a commitment to Jesus. I made a commitment to my grandkids. I made a commitment to your kids. I made a commitment to you. And it came out of this imaginative moment I had in heaven. I was not there, but I had this imaginative moment that I came across inside the city of God, Luke, Peter, John, Jude, James, and Paul. And they all came up to me and gathered around me, and they said, we saw your sermon topics and content over the 30-plus years doing the math. That's 52 weeks. It used to be I preached three times on Sunday and once on Wednesday night, and we did the math on that. And then Peter spoke and said, dude, you didn't have time to do my eight chapters? And then Jude said, I only wrote 24 verses. And that got to me. How many of you understand what I just said? I have a personal passion to teach their words. Tyler, our Shine Kids director, had a conversation with me a long time ago explaining his passion for kids' ministry, and it was the same as mine having a passion to not only teach the Word of God to our kids, but to have them fall in love with it. The Word of God. It's been over a month or so, more than a month or so, someone sent me a YouTube of a a guy that was giving a prophecy on how the election was going to go, pre-election. And after the first 10 minutes, I had to turn it off because he said, saith God 30 times and never quoted one scripture. Well, If you really want to know what God saith, connect with those who stood with Him on the holy mountain and heard the majestic voice. They wrote it down. 
and they were faithful witnesses. And you know what they did? They preached that message for 30-some years because when it was finally written down by Luke and Mark, who wrote Peter's sermons, they had heard the same thing so many times that the Holy Spirit could move on them to write that down. And then that was what was entrusted to, to what Luke was entrusting to Theophilus and others and Paul to Timothy and on and on and on. And Jude saying, hold earnestly to the faith, the faith. What is that? It is the Word of God. Ask his biological brothers, James and Jude, who when they write their letters address their audience not as the biological brothers of Jesus, but as the bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I have a personal conviction that I must preach their words, which are the once and for all words entrusted to the saints. Not a verse from it, and then on we go with our stuff, and never even come back to the verse. But preach, as Paul said, the word. Why have I chosen Luke? Because I have a personal conviction to take us into God's word, not about God's word, but God's word, and start with Luke. Number two, why Luke? I have a pastoral concern. I have a responsibility that nobody else in this church has. No one else has the responsibility I have. And that is to pastor you this way. Not the only way, but this primary way. To feed you God's Word and keep the main thing of God's Word the main thing. My pastoral concern is this. I have a concern that this generation could lose Jesus in the house of his friends. Remember the story when he's 12, it's in Luke, it's the only place. And they've gone to Jerusalem as they did for Passover. And after three days' journey back, Mary and Joseph realize something's missing. It wasn't their cell phone. It was the Son of God. And they anxiously go on a binge find, looking for him back to the city of Jerusalem. And it says, his mother said to him when she found him, son, why have you treated us like this? Talk about projection. <laughs> Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, what I'm about to say, I mean no judgment by, but it's a pastoral concern that comes from long observation. If you do an inventory of the topical analysis and subjects and methods given to the modern-day American church, I have great concern because the name of Jesus has to be anxiously searched for in the titles. Now, rightly, there is a valid passion that preachers and churches should have to be relevant in communicating to a post-Christian generation the light of the gospel. But I have a pastoral concern. We must not miss the command 
to make Christ himself the primary revelation. Now listen. The revelation of Jesus is the true definition of relevance. Are you amening me out there? Because I'm not hearing any here. You, come on, are you amening me out there? In the book of the book of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the vaccine, not the Antichrist, and not the mark of the beast. It's a book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. In that revelation, written to the seven churches in Asia, he didn't say, hey, hi guys, seven churches, I'm gonna jump over you to 20, 2021 and everything, and here's about them. No. In the first chapter, John sees Jesus standing in the center, everybody say center, of the golden candlesticks, which represent the seven churches of Asia Minor, and generally the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And where is he? He's in the center of the candlesticks. Why? Because he was still saying, and this was probably AD, maybe 80, 90, debatable, 100. He was still saying, zeal for my house, my father's house consumes me. Our zeal, guys, gals, theology nerds like me, Pastors, pastors to come, our zeal should be that Jesus standing in the center of God's house should consume us. I have a pastoral concern that this generation could lose Jesus in the house of his friends. Bible nerds, listen, you'll get this. This means Jesus is the exegesis of every passage we exegete. Jesus is the center point of every point we make in the house of the Lord. Jesus is the only real point we're called to make. This doesn't mean because I, 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 we're so good at jumping from one pit to the other, swinging the pendulum from here to there right? This doesn't mean that we don't talk about five steps to parenting, how to lead well, how to overcome fear, how to follow your vision. It doesn't mean that we don't deal with that. I have a pastoral concern for a young generation to experience what Jesus promised Nathaniel. You shall see heaven open and the activity of God being center-focused on the Son of Man. You with me? But dudes and dudettes, we are way light in passion to have Jesus as the center point inside the house of his friends. Let's go to the Emmaus Road moment in Luke, only in Luke, Last chapter, 24, make a point about it. Jesus has risen, and he joins two of his disciples who are leaving Jerusalem where it all went down. And they're on a seven-mile walk to a village called Emmaus. They're in despair. They're gripped with depression. The plan of God in their eyes has just died and the beast is still ruling. 
and they're gripped with anxiety. We just sang a song about anxiety and the cure for it, right? The presence of Jesus. They're fearful, they're confused, and all of a sudden they're joined by this mysterious one. He's the king of the city of Jerusalem, earthly and heavenly. He's the king of kings. He's the risen Christ. The one who just joined them is the sum total meaning of the Bible. The one who just joined them is the idea of the greatest ideas, the thought of all thoughts. Jesus himself is right there, and they don't recognize him. So, he does what he always wants to do with his church. He puts their minds and hearts back on course by this, and this is where I'm trying to go as a pastor. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them What was said in the where? Concerning himself. How did he get him back on track? He went from Genesis through the prophets in all the scriptures and made them Christocentric. He explained to them the things written about himself from Moses on in the scriptures. It reminded me of the Samaritan woman after Jesus reveals the I am to her, and she races to the town. You know what she says? She says, come see a man. She didn't say, come join a program that can help you. I'm just saying. I'm not saying we don't need programs. We need programs. Shine Kids is a pro, no, it's not a pro, it's a ministry, but you know what I'm saying? Celebrate recovery, we need home groups, oh yeah, right? And more, I'm just saying, I have a pastoral concern for the entire nation that a generation rises up having lost Jesus in the house of his friends by focusing as the center community, as the center needs, as a center fixing problems, as a center answering problems. And we need to do that wisely, but here's the real truth. Jesus is deliverance. Jesus is the answer when problems won't go away. Jesus will go home with you when you didn't get healed in the miracle line. Whether you never come to figure out whether the Calvinists are right or the Aminians are right or it should be a Calminian approach. Whether you never drain the dregs of the meaning of propitiation and sanctification and redemption, Jesus will come home and eat with you. Come on, someone. Jesus will fill you and change you and commune with you and hold you and help you and shine his light on you and shine his light through you if you keep your eyes only in love with him. A great pastor who is one of my favorites, he's in his mid-80s, and like a lot of the other great generals, they're going to be going home with their reward. And again, I have a pastoral concern that Jesus be not lost in the house of his friends. Chuck Swindoll said, we must be about increasing Jesus in our life and decreasing ourselves. He's the light. We're just a lamp. 
That means our worship must have the name of Jesus at the center, and that doesn't mean every song has to have Jesus' name in it. <laughs> every song now, Jesus' name, every song. I don't mean that. But there's too much you, 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 and people with lack of discernment might just think we're on the channel Love on XM Sirius Radio. There's something about his name. Our worship needs to, 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 to be looked at about, is it too need-focused oriented when we sing songs? How do you know? There's too much I and me in the lyrics. The metaphors of wind and fire, are you watching with me? The metaphors of wind and fire and water without the name that brings those things to us. I have a pastoral concern, and that's why I'm preaching Luke. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Number three, why Luke? Why are we going to get into Luke? We're not in Luke yet, but we're going to, I'm telling you why we're going to Luke. I have a Pentecostal hunger for the unfinished task. Some of you just went, wait a minute. I thought he was a Baptist. I don't know what he is, but I didn't think he was a Pentecostal because aren't they weird? I've met a lot of weird Pentecostals, but I've met a lot of weird Baptists too. I can spot a Baptist a mile away. I can walk through the mall and go, there's a Baptist. Takes one to know one. Tell me you can't. Can you, can you spot a Baptist post? Can you spot an independent Baptist post on Facebook? Can you spot a King James only? Can, can you spot a charismatic? Can you spot a charismaniac? I have a Pentecostal hunger for the unfinished task. Luke wrote another book too. Did you know that? He wrote the book of Acts. So it was actually in the first century a two-volume set. I don't know what it cost probably less than what we'd have to pay for it now. <laughs> anyway, in, in Luke, we are seeing the acts of the Holy Spirit through the life of Jesus of Nazareth. No man spoke like that man. He went into the synagogues and he went out of the synagogues with the Spirit of the Lord on him, as Isaiah promised, to heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, set prisoners free, declare the acceptable of the year of the Lord, and he went around doing good and healing all who oppressed the devil because God was with him and God was on him. He delegated that power to 12 and also to 70, and that's the count of Luke, and that was the happenings. And then 30 years later, after this stuff's being preached, and a guy named Theophilus, who is probably someone in the Roman uh, Senate, perhaps, who gets converted like many others did, in the time when Paul's about to be executed, Luke is trying to write a treatise standing up for Paul as to why Christianity is really something, because it came from a happening that is still happening. The ministry of the Holy Spirit didn't end with Jesus. It was birthed by Jesus. In Acts, chapter, in Acts, the 28 chapters there, talks about how he continued through the church. And that's the only book in the New Testament that doesn't have an ending, an account. The Emmaus friends ask Jesus, when he says, what, why are you guys so downtrodden? And they say, are you the only one who's lived here and you don't know what's been going on, what things have happened. There's a happening that's going on, and it just ended. The activity of God just died, and now we don't know what to do. 
He goes, what things? Imagine. What a sense of humor, right? What, th- what, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth. What a thought. About Jesus of Nazareth. What a thought. And later, after he reveals himself to them and then reveals himself into the room that they run seven miles back to that night, and he meets them there, ta-da, at 12, and then again when he's standing on the Mount of Olives getting ready to ascend, he says to them, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to nations, all of them. Beginning at Jerusalem, you're a witness of these things, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been ready, clothed with power from on high. What is the Pentecostal bare bones definition? Believers in Jesus who are clothed with the power from on high so that you and I can proclaim with a powerful word a witness that Jesus is alive in such a way by our lifestyle and our words, it convinces people of their need to turn to Jesus from sin and out of the world and find forgiveness and life change that goes on and on with him. That's the Pentecostal task unfinished. It's a mission of the Holy Spirit through people who believe in Jesus to the ends of the earth. In the common and everyday lifestyle, say it, in the common and everyday lifestyle of just normal people, natural people who have a supernatural clothing on them, most of the time you don't know it, and some of the time you do. And God creates moments out and about for all of us, clothed with power, so that he can sovereignly release in moments fixed by his own power. The ability for you and me, not just preachers and evangelists, you and me, people who don't even know how to spell sanctification, Hank the mechanic who doesn't even know where the book of Hebrews is. God wants to incrementally convince Hank the mechanic week by week that he has something in his life that while he has given the bill out to the guy he just changed his oil for, who hears that his daughter is sick, Hank will have faith to say, brother, can I pray for you right now? And not necessarily pray that sounds like the greatest prayer intercessor in the history of mankind, but a Hank mechanic kind of prayer because the power is of God and not of us. And we never know what's on the other side of, brother, can I pray for you? Or can I bring you a souffle? Sometimes God leads us to take a souffle and you're not going to see him stand up and throw their cane away. Something better might happen. They might come to believe that Jesus is real and loves them. Something better. I have a Pentecostal hunger to complete the Pentecostal task for people who are mentioned in Luke, not mentioned in any other gospel. The people that the church overlooks. From the very first chapter to the very last one, the people who stand out in the mission of Jesus from Luke's account, this is what amazed him. People that no one thought God was thinking about using or helping were the very first ones, starting with the elderly in chapter one. Old people. 
And it goes on and on. We'll get into that. But also, do I have time to go a little bit longer? Do I have time to go all the way to the Super Bowl? I'm just kidding. We are called to present the Jesus who lived, not a repackaged Jesus. That's why we have to preach the whole entire account. Because Jesus was very nice and very kind. But he was more than nice and kind. If you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll find that he was also a sword. And he was also an offense. And he was also a stumbling block. And Luke and Matthew and Mark and John and Jude and James, not even getting to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, when we get there, they're going to say, who gave you permission to refashion Jesus? Stay with me. I was fearful to share this part because I don't want it to be misunderstood. Please stay with me. When I say the next couple things, don't let it trigger you and you lose me because then I'm not going to answer Facebook requests today when you say what what I didn't say. Listen to the whole thing. We have no creative license to redress Jesus in a Mr. Rogers sweater. Stay with me. Where it's just niceness and kindness alone. Now, now here's where I want you. I hope you stay with me. We have to be kinder than we are. Because it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance but here's what, the thing I mean about bringing Fred Rogers into this, because listen, I'm going to come back to Fred. I'm going to give him a kiss on the cheek in my imagination. Jesus was kinder than Mr. Rogers, if you can imagine it. And the warm feels came out of Jesus in such a way that would have made the warm feels that do come out of Mr. Rogers seem like he'd be a grumpy old dude in comparison. Now, with that said, I want you to know something. I dig Mr. Rogers. I dig Mr. Rogers. I want that T-shirt. I dig Mr. Rogers. I love that movie. If you haven't watched that movie, you've got to watch that movie. We need a million of Mr. Rogers walking around. And if you can't be like Jesus, at least be like Mr. Rogers. Big doses. Now, you, you with me? I don't want to see no post-afternoon. Our pastor hates Mr. Rogers. I dig him. But here's what I'm saying. I'm saying what Pastor Tim Keller says. Listen. Jesus, what? Listen, you listening? Jesus wasn't just a nice guy who did good things in the world because nice guys don't get crucified. Threats get crucified. This generation can't kidnap Jesus to become the king of social justice causes or conservative politics. You know what I know most about conservative Christians since COVID? Not much about what they think about Jesus, but everything they know about the mask and not the mask, fear and not fear, Trump, Q, Ann Voskamp said, in this polarized war over what is true, what is real, what is identity, what is Christianity, why is evangelicalism, is it right, is it wrong, what is right, what is left, 
She said, create your own alternate God and you end up living in an alternate reality. The only way to not live in some parallel universe is to come to the cross of Christ and live in a universe where the sun revolves around you and eventually life as you want it will wither up and die. And only when your life revolves around the S-O-N is there any hope of real life. This is just for free. End times, folks. You want to know how to live in the end times? If it is the end times? Go read the eight chapters of First and Second Peter, James, and find one verse of political commentary. One. Find the only thing they say about the emperor, and you know who that was? Nero, six 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 guy, beast. You know what Peter said? Honor him. That's all you got. It's amazing how loud God is speaking by what he's not talking about for an end times generation to be focused on. Amazing. I know, it's culture shock. You know why? Because we do verses and then off we go. Instead of Simon Peter, bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to those scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, Let me tell you, as we're in Babylon, as we're in Babylon, how to walk through the belly of the beast and not get lost. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? At least you learned one thing today. We have an unfinished task. It's a Pentecostal task, but it's not about Pentecost. It's about the one who died on a cross to break the power of the law of sin and death and release into the world so he could fill the whole universe with the anointing of Christ in the church, in all generations, from glory to glory to glory, whether we feel it and when we don't. And most time we don't more than we do. But God works in the I don't feel it's just as powerful and sometimes more. And one of the amazing things in heaven is gonna be that we're gonna go, I didn't think you moved in that service. The Holy Spirit Pentecostal passion goal is to be about going as much as we're about gathering. In the gathering, Lord set our hair on fire. But if it's not on fire visibly, I'm going to believe that you did something incrementally for my good friend Ollie right here in the front row today. I'm going to believe you did something to my friend Roy over here incrementally that's going to move him and nudge him closer to the incarnation of Jesus in his life. I'm going to believe that somebody who doesn't know the difference between a Lutheran and a Baptist who is just checking the whole thing out and sitting in an LOH church because they, were, they knew to reserve seats by when, on when. <laughs> Wednesday, <laughs> and they're here, and they're trying to figure it out. Uh, is Q a real thing? Is, uh, why is Biden president? I heard he wasn't even real. Uh, where's Trump? Uh, is the COVID real? Are we all going to die? All these things. God, help me. I need answers. I need answers. I need answers. I need a- We know what we need? We need the presence of the one who walked into a world where everybody in Israel was oppressed by a beast power and wasn't going to yield even after Jesus left. What do you do with that?
You get at a table with him where he breaks bread, opens your eyes, and you say, didn't our hearts burn with us when we were at church today and God used that really weird, uh, very incapable guy to preach something that didn't make me go home and want to go, go see a Tim, but made me want to go home and put my nose in the book of the account of the good news for all people called Luke. I have a passion, finally, finally. Number four, I want us to make a powerful statement to the world, not just in words but in deeds, and it's this. Jesus is still amazing. Come on. Come on. Is there anything in the world or, or the world church more exciting than Jesus? Please show me. Tell me what it might be. Jesus is still amazing. We're going to go into a gospel. It's an account from a man who was a doctor raised up in a Greek culture world where what amazed the Greeks was muscle, oratorical skill, business success, appearance, strength, top instead of bottom. And Luke partners up with Paul and goes into a world and hears about a Jesus who did not bypass all those people, but focused in on those that in the eyes of that cultural mindset had no hope, no purpose, no value, no end, nothing to gain from, and it amazed Luke. Jesus is amazing. J-E-S-U-S is still amazing. Do you know what I found out in the Gospel of Luke? There are only two times. All through the Gospel of Luke, it says, and they were amazed. Jesus did something, said they were amazed. From his mother, hearing from the shepherds, they were amazed. On and on, and Mary was amazed. Everybody's amazed, 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 amazed. Jesus is amazing. But you know what really sticks out to me in the Gospel of Luke? I'm going to close with this. There's only two times that Jesus is amazed. Now go find them. No, I'm just kidding. Let me tell you what they are. The first one is when he came to preach back in his hometown where everybody knew him. And you know what? They couldn't see the anointing of God on his life because he, as a person, was too familiar with them. And it says he couldn't do anything there. And Jesus, quote, Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. There's only two times in the Gospel of Luke where it says Jesus was amazed. One was a bad one, that one. You want to hear the good one? There was a certain centurion who had a servant who was sick near death. And he was well liked by the Jewish synagogue authorities. And so they went and asked Jesus if he would go and heal this centurion's servant because this centurion was a God-fearer. It's a phrase that Luke uses about people in the Gentile world who had a respect for the Jewish faith and the stories of Moses and all that, and they thought, if there is a God, it's that one, and I'll show up at synagogue sometime, the God-fearer. This man, he was a Roman centurion. 
He was a God-fearer. He was kind to the Jewish people. And so the Jews thought, well, hey, he's a giver. He's a money guy. He's helped us. I'm, I'm sure Jesus will put him up there. The contrast to that mindset was the centurion himself. He wrote a note and said, don't come, Master. I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. And I'll add this part, but it had to come from this. I've heard about you. I've heard the stories. So here's what I know. You just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Luke says what Matthew and Mark don't say. He says, and Jesus was amazed. Imagine. Imagine when the Lord looks down into the LOH church family and begins to watch people who are incrementally allowing the word of the Lord to work grace in their lives, not measuring themselves up with any other person, any other kind of prayer life, any other kind of Bible follower, any, just their hank in the keys. And what might not even be noticed by me or the church or people who have it all evaluated on what happens and what doesn't happen and when. Between you, I think I read somewhere where Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room. When you give, don't let even your husband know. Well, unless, let me, I better, scratch that one. That one's misunderstood. I can't go back, I don't have time. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I mean, I would be in trouble if I just showed up with a, with a Bentley in the front yard and go, I didn't want you to know, I just thought I'd buy that. Anyway, that's not what he meant, but, it, but I'm talking something else. Don't let your left hand, right? So, you know what, you know what though? Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Maybe he's more amazed at us in a good way than a bad way. Maybe we're not amazing to anybody but Jesus. Maybe you've lived long enough where you know your past feeling amazing about yourself. And nobody around you is amazed by your character and your gifts and your unique personality and your humanity. But the Gospel of Luke is about a barren woman who and her husband gave up praying that they'd have a kid because now they're old and why pray that anymore? It's about probably a 13 to 15 year old girl that nobody knew in a little town called Nazareth that actually some debate was even a real town. You can't even really find it and because it might have been a part of it because it was so small you didn't even put it on the map. And Gabriel who met with Daniel showed up in her house. Who was Mary before she was Mary? The shepherds, not even named. All we know is there was shepherds. We don't know their names. And on and on. There's this wee little man. Yeah, there was this guy. He was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. 
You know what he did? He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. The only place that's mentioned is in Luke. And the Lord stopped and said, to us that doesn't mean anything. But what was Zacchaeus? He was a tax thief, rich at it, good at it. And Jesus said, I want to eat at your house today. He knows you and he knows me. And the eyes of the Lord search in my heart and yours. When everybody else might not. When the elder brother says no one should celebrate him, he has been a disaster. Only in Luke. That's for you, that's for me. The gospel for all people. We're going to go there. Weeks, months to come. For you, sit right across the table when you don't know the answers and you're perplexed and it looks like it's ending. The thing about the book of Acts and Luke is we, it shows us that we call when God's beginning something a death. When God's getting ready to broaden something, we think he's breaking something because his ways are not ours. We're going to find that out. I encourage you to jump in. I encourage you to dive in. You can't get too far ahead because we're going we're gonna to go. Do it. But Heavenly Father, it's my prayer. Help us to discover the amazing Jesus that leaves nobody out, that overlooks no one. Even the one widow that put the might in, he saw her. <laughs> No one's out. Amaze us with that. Holy Spirit of God, stir up a hunger in us, a personal conviction to let your word speak and let us be amazed by Jesus and be a movement of people clothed in the power of the Spirit if you're here today, you know there was a, a man on the cross next to Jesus. He couldn't get down off the cross and do something nice. He couldn't give money to the synagogue. He couldn't promise somebody something. He couldn't go to somebody he hurt and say, I'm sorry. He couldn't do anything. He was nailed to the definition of a life that ended up where it was. And all he could do was turn and say, remember me. And what did Jesus say to him? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Friend, today, whoever you are, I told you, you don't have to understand it all. But if your heart is beating faster than it was before I started, if something's talking to you right now about give Jesus a chance, that's the Holy Spirit. And if someone's telling you, 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 you don't do that because you got to quit this, you got to fix that, you gotta, that's the devil. That's the devil. He just says, don't be afraid. Come to my voice, and I'll break bread for you. Father, I pray for whoever that is. I pray for every person right now that feels like their prayers have long been forgotten, who feel like they're standing in a church with a candle lit, 
And why even do it? Because the angels are gone. The promises are dead. Life is ending. Give them a divine surprise like you did Zechariah and show them it's just starting. And it's going to go way past their kid. It's going to be a person that changes the whole world to change the whole world. We give you thanks and praise unto him who is able to do far more than we could ever imagine or ask or think according to the power that works in us. Lord Jesus, may there be glory of your name in the church in all generations, now and forevermore. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen.